Welcome to the podcast of Trinity Church London. You're listening to a message given on a Sunday morning. If you'd like to know more about us and the life of the church, please visit trinitychurchlondon.com. I grew up in West London. and I, In my first way, when I was at primary school, um, I grew up going to a prep school. And if you know prep, the prep system, um, they're normally single sex, so it was an all-boys school. It was very small. Um, the mums and dads were very wealthy. And it was a very particular little atmosphere that I found myself in. And for all sorts of reasons, at age at year seven, I went from going to this small all-boys prep school to the local comprehensive, which was big. And there were girls. And I'd never met a girl apart from my sister before, and maybe a cousin or two. And suddenly I was mixing with all these people who were utterly unlike me. I was meeting with kids from the local estate who were unlike me. I was meeting with all these other people who had their own friendship groups. And suddenly, from going from this very little monoculture to this big multiculture of all these different cultures and peoples and demographics, I found myself honestly lost. At the very same time, we moved church and we moved house and I broke my leg at the time that I was moving to this brand new school. All of this happened over one summer. So the one thing the boys can do if they need to make friends is play football. We don't know how to talk to each other particularly, but we can kick a ball at each other and the ball comes back and we feel like we're best friends. That's how it works for boys generally. But I couldn't even do that. So I felt myself lost. And looking back now, I can identify what I didn't identify at the time is that I was having an identity crisis. Who on earth am I? Because I found myself lost thinking, do I connect with these groups of people or these groups of people or these people? And my self-understanding was basically shattered. I had no concept really. And I went from hobby to hobby to hobby, kind of because I liked it, but also looking back now, because I was trying to find my place in school like which part of the school am I gonna fit in with and I kind of over the years swerved from various hobbies to kind of fit in and outfits I can probably name my year and how old it was and what kind of tracksuits or jeans or how tight my jeans were or how baggy my jeans were depending on what identity I was trying to absorb in that moment is anyone with me anyone like teenage years were slightly traumatic in that sense anyone please someone someone all right thank you you're just trying to find like where is my tribe the thing is it it never really like we do mature we do grow but there is still that temptation often to find out like what is my identity and and who am I like what London I think is filled with people who are trying to pursue their identity what is it that I'm going to be known for how do I understand myself when you go shopping around shopping centers they're not just selling you things they're they're often selling you an identity you don't just buy those pair of shoes you buy those pair of shoes because it comes with a package of an identity and with those shoes you identify with that crowd of people you you, yeah or work or a career because I fancy being in this career because I kind of like the way it makes me feel and fit into society how how many people choose degrees and careers based on that not really because I love it because actually it helps me feel like I've got a place and I like that place it's an identity 
right, that we try to create for ourselves. The thing is for us, we, we were going on this project and it's ex an experiment really for us in the West. It's an experiment as to whether we as individuals can create an identity without God or a higher being or someone beyond us telling us who we are and without our family or our community telling us who we are. Like we all know that like we're trying to discard God from our kind of corporate sense of identity. But we also like from the age of zero, the, the films and the media that we watch are basically telling us do the opposite of what your family told you to do. If your family told you to do this, you need to be your own person, follow your heart and go the other direction. Or if your family told you to do this, then go in the other direction, follow your heart, be your own person. We are being told to create our own identity. You look inside, you find what's there and form your own sense of self. There are lots of problems with this, but let me just give you three quick ones. The first question is this we have to ask is, if we're gonna look inside and form our own identity, which identity are we gonna build our lives around? I don't know if there's a picture that we can just flick up. I don't normally have pictures, but you're, you're welcome, value-added sermon today. I have a picture because this thing is, we go to a coffee shop at the end of our road, and uh, this is always on the wall. And every time I go in, it just makes me chuckle because it, it pictures perfectly this conundrum that we find ourselves. Follow your heart. That sounds great. Yeah, I want to follow my heart. Okay, which way do I go? At the very same time, my heart is telling me different things. I could be driving down the street. Someone might cut me up. I have multiple desires in my own heart, some of which are to be a good pastor and not lose face. I sometimes wonder, what if I was really rude to someone and then found out it was one of you lot on their own? I'd be like, that would be really embarrassing. Not that I go around being really rude, but it has crossed my mind. It keeps some of my like, but then I've also got desires of like, I really want to show them the injustice and the, how they've wronged me. I also don't want to get beaten up if I find out it's a six foot five guy who's been training for 20 years. Like, all right, you're fine. You just cut me up. I'll go. You know, there are multiple desires in us all the time, right? And our heart is always changing and our emotions and we see something that's glamorous over there. We think, I want to pursue that. And we see something over there and our heart is, so which identity do we go for? Our second problem is this. There is every chance that if we set our hearts on creating an identity for ourselves, is that we will actually fail in that pursuit. Tori and I confess that we're now watching the 17th season of The Apprentice. Is anyone with me? Yes. Who tapped out at like season 10? We are still going. Season 17. And still every time they're fired, almost every time in the taxi, I will show Alan Sugar that I am going to make it. One day he's going to be working for me and they give it all this sass through the tears that has run hold back. You know, they're broken, but, but, they, but there's this desire to try and prove that I am going to be a successful. It's every chance that they won't make it. There are only so many millionaires and billionaires, etc., etc., etc. So what if we go about this creating ourselves and, and we fail? The third thing is this is actually impossible to do on our own. Charles Taylor, who has written a lot about our identity and self, he calls this the age of the self. 
he says you cannot actually do it just solo by ourselves we think we can but he says this and i think it's fascinating we define our identity always in dialogue with and sometimes in struggle against the things our significant others want to see in us even after we outgrow some of these others our parents for instance and they disappear from our lives the conversation with them continues with us as long as we live interesting right we think i'm not doing what my parents want me to do so i'm going to do something else the issue with that is we are still in dialogue with that parental whatever it is we are still reacting against it so we're still actually being controlled by the things that we're reacting against back some 20 years ago when richard dawkins was really promoting atheism one of the accusations against him and i think he kind of took on board is that yes he's an atheist but he's not an atheist in a vacuum. He is a Christian atheist. He is reacting against Christianity. So there is a reaction against. We are always forming something in reaction against. And so what I want to do is just hopefully show us that the old Christian way of finding an identity is actually the best way and the most life-giving way and will lead to life, inward life actually is the least problematic and the most blessed way of understanding ourselves in the world and if we can walk in what paul talks about is this christian identity we'll actually find life because this is how paul understands himself it's fascinating when he references himself in these first few verses he can't go a sentence without talking about how his life refers to christ and how christ refers to his life just just follow with me from verse one he says paul called by the will of god not paul i'm here on my own esteem trying to make something on my pulled by the will of god to be an apostle of christ jesus i'm here sent by christ to the church of god that is in corinth to those sanctified in christ called to be saints that is holy ones those who call on the name of our lord jesus christ grace to you and peace from god our father and you get the point he carries on i give thanks to my god for the grace of god that was given to us in christ jesus you get the point he cannot move for referencing his life in relationship to the person of jesus christ his self-understanding comes from whom christ is and in this passage that we're looking at today what paul is doing is he is reminding the church of who they are as christians and he is forging their identity before he goes on to take some 16 chapters of sometimes heavy correction because he knows that our behavior flows out of our self-understanding of who we are sometimes i know people probably tell us but now i'm involved with little kids and things you 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 involved in little kids meaning i have two of my own so i'm i'm trying to parent them well, that's a very strange phrase sorry <laughs> i'm not anyway um now i'm lost i know for sometimes for example with micah a lot of his behavior comes out of the fact that he doesn't feel like he's much and a lot of his misbehavior and playing up is because deep down he tells us like in his open moments he doesn't feel like anything he feels like nothing and so he behaves like that and we can do that sometimes right 
if, if, you feel, if you feel like there's worthlessness here, sometimes you act out self-destructive behaviour. You do kind of actively, oddly, even against your own will, you kind of seem to go through self-destructive behaviours. If you identify yourself as someone who is a successful, hard-working leader in the business place, it affects who you are. You might destroy relationships because you've got a path that you're going down. I am behaving like this because this is how I identify. It might be my skin colour. This is how I identify. It might be in America. We watch on. It's nice to point out the Americans' folks were in England, but you know you can see it from afar. This political kind of dividing that's happening. And mostly it feels like, well, it's, it's just identities. You've got that identity and you cannot see any other, other, other way. Social media keeps pushing us into these separate identities. It's not a place of dialogue. We thought it was. We now learn that it's not a place of dialogue. It's a place where you find your identity and you find your tribe and you encamp there deep. And then just throw insults at other camps. Our identity shapes how we behave. So very often for some of us, we think we have a sin problem and we may have a sin problem. But actually that sin problem is an identity problem. Because we identify first and foremost as someone who can't get a hold of ourselves, who is outside, who is not loved by God, who isn't cherished by him. And if that's the case, then we begin to act like that. Not like one who is loved by God and has been cared for and provided for and is, is his. Sometimes I think people view the church and they look at the kind of the, the morality of the church. And they think it's like this arbitrary list that's just been given to the church to kind of think, OK, you want to be a Christian? Well, here's a whole bunch of things that you have to do and you have not to do if you want to be a Christian. And it's almost like viewed like this kind of this list that if you can do these things, you kind of you can show your commitment, then you get the blessings of God. Like it's an exam to pass. Oh, you want the blessings of being a Christian? Well, here's a whole bunch of things that you need to do. If you can do those things, then you can prove your commitment. But the, the morality of the Bible all flows from the nature and the character of whom God is and what it is to be called as his people. So the classic, the Ten Commandments that we get given that sometimes get thrown about today, the Ten Commandments came not for the people to prove their commitment to God, but God first rescued them out of Egypt, took them through the Red Sea, rescued them, took them to a place of worship. And as now his people, God says, this is how you are to live as my people. The Ten Commandments flow from the salvation that God gives them. It's not to prove their commitment. It's, this is how you live as one who identifies as one who has been saved by God. And so what Paul does in this short, chap, this short passage is he grounds us in our identity before he gets onto the behaviour of what it is to be a Christian in the church in a city like ours today. He can't, he can't move for this way of viewing life, identity than behaviour. Because even when he gets on in two weeks' time, we're going to look at this. He says in verse 10, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. He doesn't say, look, you've got to sort some stuff out. No, by the name of Jesus, because of Christ, this is how you should behave as a church. And so he grounds us in this identity. 
which is the most important and often as we know the most important are sometimes the most difficult things to really comprehend it can be easier to flick to black and white morality let's just deal with that it's harder to deal with things that are going on in our hearts our self-understanding amen but this is where Paul goes. And what I want is to just ask two questions, really. Think, things that I think Paul himself lifts up. What is it to have an identity as a Christian? And what are some of the blessings that Paul lifts up here? So firstly, what is it to be identified as a Christian? He has this little phrase that he uses that we can often miss. And especially if you've got a Bible reading plan and you've got to get through some chapters, you can miss the small words, but sometimes the small words are some of the most powerful words. Because he says in verse 2, he says this, To the church of God that is in Corinth, to those sanctified in Christ Jesus. In Christ Jesus. Which is a strange phrase, but he then repeats it. He says in verse 4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given to you in Christ Jesus. This is not an unusual phrase for Paul. He talks about this a lot for a Christian to be in Christ or to be in Jesus. And we, we never talk about any other relationship like this, do we? I am in Pete. We're great friends. I'm in. No, and he's not saying I'm like into Jesus. Like he's a great guy, I'm into Jesus. So I'm not saying I'm in his house. It's not saying I'm, what he's saying is I am in the person of Christ. It's this picture of us being bound up in the clothes of righteousness that, that Christ has. That Christ takes off his perfect righteousness and he gives us his righteousness so that we find ourselves in his clothes of righteousness and not only that but christ then gives us his name and his status and then he pushes over everything that he has onto our side and he says all of this is now yours so that we can stand here and now say everything that christ is i am now in i am in christ jesus so much so that when the Father looks at me, he sees Christ. And because he sees Christ, everything that Christ is and everything that Christ has is now mine. We sang that, that last song, the, the, the last, clothed in his righteousness alone, faultless before his throne. I think, look at my own heart the last week, said, uh, faultless, I'm not sure about that. But in Christ, I am clothed with his righteousness alone, faultless before his throne. That is my identity that I have. I am in Christ. That is a Christian's position. So if someone were to ask you, hey, are you a, are you a Christian? How do you respond to that? It's an identity marker, right? Are you a Christian? Some people sometimes say, I, I try to be a good Christian. Which sounds kind of humble, doesn't it? It sounds good. You're trying to be a good Christian. Well, that's nice. Like, you're trying. That's humble approach. I'm not there yet. But, but actually, it doesn't understand what we have been gifted 
in Christ because we don't try to be in Christ we are either in him or we are not are you a Christian yes I am because of the work of Christ Jesus that he has given me let, let me just go a little step further can we turn to John 17 for a minute I think it's going to come up here as well I just want us to, to dwell on this and meditate on this for a moment. There are so many different ways that we can approach this because this little phrase is a, is a bit like a zip file. I don't know much about computers, but I've heard about zip files. You know, zip file, like you can, you can bundle a whole bunch of files into a zip file and you open it up and a whole bunch more comes out, right? Did I get that right? <laughs> in Christ feels like that sometimes like it's this tiny little phrase but compressed into this two-word phrase in worlds of theology and worlds of blessing that if we were to just stop and meditate on we would be so enriched by but this is what this is what Jesus prays before God the Father and this is what we have remember that when we're in Christ we have everything that is Jesus's so he prays Father I desire that they also whom you have given me and if you are in Christ today if you are a Christian today you are in this prayer may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world we're in deep 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 waters here but let me just just unpack something here he prays I want them to be with me so that they can experience something of the love that you have been giving to me before the foundation of the world. So just imagine Jesus Christ, infinitely glorious, perfect. And we have God the Father rejoicing over the Son. God the Father with this infinite source of energy from whom all creation gets their own energy. The Father creates all things and from the Father, this overflowing source of joy and delight erupts from the Father over the Son because of the Son. The Father is called the Father in part because he provides life to anything that he touches. And in Christ, he eternally begets his son, Jesus, and he sees Christ and he loves him with this fierce, ever erupting, never dying, unconditional, free love over Jesus. And Jesus on the other side says, I want the church to be caught up with me so that they can receive the same love from you, Heavenly Father, the love that you've loved me from beginning of the foundation of the world could they be with me and experience what i'm experiencing now and so jesus prays for this and whatever jesus prays for happens and so he says in this verse 25 O righteous father even though the world does not know you i know you and these things that you have sent me i made known to them your name and i will continue to make it known that the love with which you loved me may be in them and i in them so becoming a christian is not becoming a slightly better version of yourself you may but that is such a puny goal in life to live the best version of yourself there are worlds out there to experience in god god doesn't call you just to be a better version of yourself 
He calls you to enjoy an infinite source of love from the creator of the world, the heavenly father, the righteous father, that he would look on you and with a fierce, undying, unconditional, free love, say, I love you. This is the offer of Christianity so that we can stand with Christ and receive this love. And if we have the love of this father, the one whom we will stand before one day, if we have the love of this father, every other opinion this begins to feel slightly smaller amen it doesn't seem to matter so much because i have god on my side and he backs me in he's my father christ wants this so much that he doesn't just pray for it he leaves the father's presence and he comes down into our world searching us out and he takes on our identity as sinners as orphans outside of the presence of our father so that we might take on his identity as the righteousness of god paul says later in the second letter he writes to the corinthians for our sake christ became sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So Christ comes and he takes our identity with all of our brokenness and pressure and frailty and sin so that we can be taken from this identity into a righteous identity before God the Father. And on the cross, he goes all the way and says, have my place before God the Father. And the good news is that on the third day, he rises to a brand new life so that we might be bound up in him. Hallelujah forever and ever and ever so for it to be in christ is not a like a side note theological thing of interest this is a life-changing reality that we live in every single day once we are bound up and united in christ we cannot be unbound from him so when you look at jesus enjoying the love of the father as christians our identity is with Christ enjoying the exact same love. To say anything less is to deny the power of the gospel. To put yourself even a degree below Christ, well, because he's Christ, right? I mean, he's, he is literally the son of God, eternal being. To say anything other than you are less than Christ in your status is to deny the power of the gospel. We are bound up in Christ so if you're a guest with us today you think why do you sing about Jesus a lot this is why we sing about Jesus a lot he has done something beyond our comprehension that we are trying to to get our heads around amen our identity is is in Christ it's it's good news and if we can understand this it begins to control our behavior and our outlook and the ethics that we come to later in this letter begin to make sense when we find ourselves in this relationship before God the Father in Christ Jesus. Paul lays out three blessings. I mean, I'm talking three here, but you could probably roll out 300,000 that would go deeper and deeper and deeper. So, but let me just talk about three blessings that come from being in this place, being loved by God the Father. The first thing is this. He says that our identity is, because we are in Christ, a gift. That we don't have to create it ourselves. Look at this in verse 4. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you. Because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. So 
we're told basically today that you know you've got to work hard and believe in yourself and if you do that for long enough you will make it you'll get the thing that you're hoping for in life you'll get to that place you'll get your identity but the bible gives us an option where you can have an identity given to you freely as a gift that you don't work for but that you receive because of christ so that you can fall into this like hustle culture and you've got to make it and you've got to like there seem to be so many youtube videos that i know they're popping up at me maybe i'm not waking up early enough but you know wake up at 4 a.m videos anyone seen these videos like here's my morning routine waking up at 3 30 and they've like done a marathon and had some butter coffee and yoga and meditate you know you think well, because there's this idea that you've got to get out there and make yourself happen. Like you, you've got to do life. If you're not doing life, who else? You're on your own here. So this kind of hustle culture that can get into the Christian. So we can think, we wake up, we think, I've, I've, got to, I've got to do well. I've got to get my Bible reading. I've got to get my prayers in. I should probably sing as well. That's a good thing. Okay. Um, I don't want to be rude. Got to get, got to work, get work early. I've got to be good. End of the day, am I going to make it to the prayer meeting? Charles really said it's a good thing to do. There's prayers of incense. We've got to fill up the bowl. Okay, we've got to go here, and we've got to like, we've got to go through this process of pleasing God, creating my Christian identity. But what we're told is that our identity in Christ is a gift. You have received it without doing anything. Just in the same way that you have your surname, you, your family identity is gifted to you. You don't receive that. Some of you think, oh, could I have another gift? That's your gift. <laughs> in the same way we get bestowed a name in Christ Jesus, adopted into a new family, and it's a gift. So that when we wake up as Christians, our first thought is not, how do I spiritually hustle today to make my God happy? My first thought is, let me try and remember who I am in Christ. Let me try and remember all the blessings that I have because God the Father looks on me and smiles with an erupting love over my life because of Christ. Let me remember all the ways in which God has served me and blessed me through my life. Let me remember all the ways in which he loves me. Let me remember the sacrifice of his son. And if he has given me that, how much more will he give me everything else that I need in this life? That is how we appropriate this identity. We wake up and remember what we've already been gifted. So we don't work hard for it. We receive it. Amen? Amen? Hard work is not a bad thing. Paul goes on later to say, because of the grace of God, I worked harder than all of you lot, which feels a little bit like, no, 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 no. I don't know how that fits in church. But he says, because of the grace of God, I actually did work hard, but it comes from a place of knowing I'm loved by God. So I can just go about it. That's the first thing. We receive this as a gift. The pressure's off. The second thing is this, is that our identity is life-giving. Enriching is the word that Paul uses. He says, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. That in every way you were enriched in him, 
in all speech and all language and all knowledge sorry even as the testimony about Christ was confirmed among you so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ so as we find ourselves in Christ he uses this word which is literally used of wealthy people in the New Testament so Joseph of Arimathea is described as exactly the same way he was just a very wealthy man and he says as Christians you are enriched you have a wealthy life now because of Christ and I think pastorally Paul's writing this letter to Corinth a very wealthy city where they have like as we learned last week, the best pastries, apparently. You go to Corinth. It has a very luxurious lifestyle. Lots of money, lots of business, lots of wealth here. And then there was the church that didn't feel quite wealthy. Sometimes I wonder that, you know, there's, there's us. Kind of, you know, it's nice. But then you go to, like, the city... And you go to some of these firms and there's like marble floors and things like this. You think, who are, like, who are we as Christians? The world can look on and Christians are think, no, who are you lot? Like, what have you got? Like, we've, we've got this. Like, we've got hedge funds and we've got partnership. We've got... Ex- and Paul, I think, knew this kind of feeling. Like, what is the church? How did they feel in the middle of this city? And they said, Christians... You need to understand you are enriched in him. You are wealthy. He prays in another place that the Ephesians would know the riches that they've been called to. Listen to how he prays for them because it's hard for us to understand when we don't feel like we have much. He says, I don't, do not give, cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. He's praying, I want you to know all that you have as a Christian. You are not poor. You are wealthy in Christ. If you have God, you have everything. So that later in 2 Corinthians, he can write this to to a city that despised the church. He could say this. He says about himself as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor, yet making many rich. As having nothing, yet possessing everything. So to have an identity in Christ is to say that I could do very well in my career and it doesn't mean that much to me because I have everything already in Christ. And it also means that I could lose my career and I might lose everything and yet at the same time I have everything because I have Christ. I might gain health. I have everything because I have Christ. I might lose my health but I have everything because I have Christ. I might lose my status in this world, but I I have Christ and with him, I have everything. Do you see how uncorruptible this identity can be? How persistent the church has been through the ages and in places where they've been persecuted because the church has constantly said to those who would try and take away from Christians, you can take everything. You can have everything that I have. Have it because I already have everything in Christ. I am already rich infuriating to those who want to stamp out the Christian church 
because we get up again and say, oh, it's all right, actually, I still have everything that I need because I have Christ and his resurrection. Amen. So this identity enriches us. And the third thing is this, because we are in Christ, we're told we will make it. He says this, and I, I mean, I, I just love this. I wish we could do another week in it, but we're going to keep going. He says in verse seven, so that you are not lacking in any gift as you wait for the revealing of our Lord Jesus Christ, who will sustain you to the end guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. And why are we guiltless? Not because this week, this is the week or this is the year that you're finally going to become a proper Christian, all right, and stop that sinning. No, you are going to be guiltless because you are in the guiltless one, Christ Jesus. And as you are in the guiltless one, Christ Jesus, you stand before God the Father guiltless with nothing to worry about. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. So you are guiltless in the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's nothing to worry about on the day of judgment. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. So Paul is saying this, there are going to be trials and you may sin. There are going to be pressures and persecution. There are going to be difficulties. There are going to be temptations to form your identity around other things that aren't Christ. But as you are in Christ, he is going to hold you all the way until the day where he is revealed and he will judge the living and the dead. So the pressure is off. We take a deep breath. We wake up tomorrow, not to hustle, but to enjoy. To remember the guiltless one who was crucified for us. Knowing this, that we will make it as his church. Isn't that good news? Do you ever wake up some days and you think, I, I don't want to do today? Ever had those days? Oftentimes when I have to wake up really early, I'm like, oh, do I have to do this day? And you know it's going to be a long day. And you're like, oh my goodness. Temptations are like, coffee, power up, get. No, no. I stop, I remember the guiltless one. If the Father loves me, I'm going to be okay. Amen. Let me close with one testimony from. A man called John Bunyan, who was an Englishman, a tinker, who used to go around fixing pots and pans for people, became a Christian in his 20s, I think it is. And he wrote a book, well, he wrote a few books. He wrote one of the most popular books written ever by a Christian, Pilgrim's Progress. But he also wrote his autobiography, basically his account of how he became a Christian. And he shares this moment where he had been wrestling with a guilty conscience and his soul just wasn't at peace. He'd said yes to Christ, but he still couldn't really absorb the identity of being in Christ. And he, he has this moment, and I'm reading it, and for myself, just so much beginning to click and pennies dropping and freedom for myself and anxiety just kind of ebbing away as I heard John Bunyan coming to understand what it meant to be in Christ. So let me just read this for us as we close. There's some oldie English in it, so just bear with some of it. 
He says one day, he was, lived in the 1600s, so just to explain. But one day, as I was passing in the field, some dashes, there were some dashes on my conscience. He's feeling guilty. Fearing that all was not right. And suddenly, this sentence fell upon my soul. Your righteousness is in heaven. And I thought I saw with the eyes of my soul Jesus Christ at God's right hand. And there I saw was my righteousness. Just picture this with me. Up there is my righteousness. Not down here with my life. Up there in Jesus Christ at the right hand of God the Father. So wherever I was, or whatever I was doing, God could not say of me, I want your righteousness, for that was always before him. And I also saw in that moment, moreover, that it was not my good frame of heart, like I feel good today, that made my righteousness better, nor my bad frame that made my righteousness worse, because why my righteousness was Jesus Christ himself. The same yesterday, today, and forevermore. And from that day forth, he went free in his soul. This is our position as Christians. That in just a moment, I'm going to pray for. You can't add to your righteousness because Christ is perfect and overflowingly perfect. And you can't ruin your righteousness, your position before God, because your righteousness is safe in heaven before God the Father. So we walk boldly, amen? Amen. Let's pray together.